Let the interrogation, space interrogation yeah. begin. Yes. Space interrogation. <laughs> the number one reason to why teach astronomy is because students love to learn about it. And yeah. what people love to learn about are the things that we should focus on. The universe is meaningless unless there's somebody there to ponder the universe. And that's our role. And so as a, as a result, we are the ones that ascribe meaning to the universe. So that makes us pretty important. To me, teaching is just being in a room with a bunch of people, just talking together and learning and growing together and showing each other respect and uh, listening to what they have to say. And they'll listen to what I have to say. And if they want to speak up, I'll stop and I'll listen. Hello and welcome to the Earthy Chats podcast, where we're cross-pollinating environmental education ideas. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey Beryl. I'm joining you as the Outreach and Events Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM, and the Outdoor Learning Store, which is your one-stop shop for outdoor learning, equipment and resources. I also run Stoked on Science. It's an environmental education and consultancy business based in the interior mountains of BC. And I'm your other host, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, an environmental education charity that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, PD, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. This is such a necessary message to teenagers today to get your nose out of your phone for a while, at least for a while, and look up at the sky, look up at the stars, and wonder what they are, and consider the possibilities of an endless and eternal universe. See how that affects you. And for a moment, stop scrolling and just look up, because it's there waiting for you. The sky calls out to everybody, but fewer and fewer people are, are taking advantage of that. So hello and welcome to this edition of Earthy Chats where we're cross-pollinating environmental education ideas. Uh, we're bringing you a little bit of something different. We're coming to you from outer space and if you could see the visual that we've got of Tim's podcast studio at his school, it looks like he's in a spaceship. So um, let that inspire the imagery as we begin this uh, episode. So joining us today, indeed, is Tim Stevenson. So he's an experienced classroom teacher who received the 2018 Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence. Uh, he's also highly skilled in K-12, uh, astronomy, writing and presenting. On top of his undergraduate, he holds a master's degree focused in educational leadership from the University of Portland. He's prevented presented for TEDx. He hosts his own podcast, Science360, which if you haven't listened to is fantastic and we'll so good. plug that bed at the end. Uh, and he's also an inspiring author, which we'll uh, learn a little bit more about. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much, everybody. That's the great rundown. I, where'd you find all that stuff out? Yeah, pretty good CV. Mm, it's the <laughs> internet. We, we do tend to stalk you a little bit before I've we... Heard about yeah, I've heard about the internet. It's, it's here to stay, I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, you never know, but yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> it, I don't think it's that bad. Mm. <laughs> All right, so Tim, you're an active classroom teacher. Who are you? Are you teaching a specific grade or? Yeah, I'm teaching in Walnut Grove Secondary School in Langley, British Columbia, and I teach junior science as well as uh, I've developed a, an astronomy course for grade 11 and 12, and that's something I've been doing for 
20 years now. Wow. Um, and did, okay, we'll get to the astronomy and, and, yeah, yeah. and dive into that deeper as we go. But um, as we are sort of connected with sort of outdoor environmental learning, I'm wondering mm. um, where you came to your science and where you came to that astrology astronomy in your own upbringing like was were you have you always been a space nerd or a science nerd or what's well the story? no I wouldn't say I, I always have although some people might say I have I guess it, it, it actually the story I always tell is in 1973 uh, we took a family vacation I was in grade three at the time and um, um, we went down to um, Florida we were living in southern Ontario and we drove down the I-75 mm. through Detroit and through uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and all the way down to um, uh, Fort Fort Lauderdale, and we went to Disneyland, uh, Disney World, and mm-hmm. then of course we went over to the Kennedy Space Center, and um, but part way down in um, uh, Ohio, we were on our second night, and there was a large snowstorm, and we didn't get as far as we wanted to go. I think my parents thought it was safer to get off the road, and we actually pulled over into a small town called Wapakoneta, Wapakoneta, Ohio. Wapakoneta. That's a good tongue yeah. twister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, here's a more trivia for you. Who who was born and raised in Wapakoneta, Ohio, other than Neil Armstrong? <gasps> what? Yes. And I had no idea. My parents had no idea. We just pulled in. And there was um, a big poster. This was in 1973, so four years after he had been on the moon. And there was a big stand-up cutout of Neil Armstrong. And it turned out that we talked to the people in the hotel and I was fascinated by this and we ended up at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida and we took a tour and we saw the launch pad and we saw the vehicle assembly building. I was quite amazed at how that building was 500 feet tall on the inside. Like on the inside. <laughs> on the inside. Yeah. Like this I'm trying is to big... visualize it, but I like. You could skydive in that. Yes. Picture vaulted <laughs> feelings in your living room, but on steroids. <laughs> And so they said it was so high that rain clouds formed in the top of it. And oh, you're joking. That impressed me. Yeah. That, so Little convective it, cloud current. That's wild. There must have been some sort of, yeah, temperature dif- differentiation between the outdoor yeah. and the indoor. And, and, and then outside of that building was the giant tractor that they carried the Saturn V rocket out to the launch pad. And we were right beside it. And as, a, as an eight-year-old boy, I was looking at this massive machine and I was just mesmerized by the monstrosity of it. And um, I guess at that point, I was just really hooked. And I do recall as well being scared. I was, I was frighted, frightened by the thought because they had said that if the astronauts don't return at the right angle, they'll either uh, come in too steep and they'll burn up like a shooting star or they'll come in too shallow and they'll skip off like a rock off water. And in either case, they'll die a horrible death. And, and of course, neither of those things ever happened. But uh, the story was told, and it had an impression on a small boy's mind. And I was frightened every time they were mission to space. Uh, but anyway, fortunately, it never happened. So I guess I have been around the space thing for, for quite a while. My own physical geography degree came I was always going to do English I was going to write um words person that was always my thing and then my dad took me to the Grand Canyon when I was like 14 and I was just like I want to know how this stuff works I want to know why this exists and how it came to be and it's those sort of formative moments that lead you down the path um so I feel like some people get confused 
between there's astrology and astronomy. <laughs> so which one is like Jupiter's moons in Uranus's eye and um, everything's going to yeah. need you to, you know, spend money or buy a lottery ticket at this time. And, yeah. and astronomy is stars and space and that, right? Am I? Yeah, well, right? One's, one's a science and one's a pseudoscience. Um, okay. Yeah, people often say, so how's that astrology course going? And I just ask, if, well, if I could read your palm, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, uh, if I could look at your tea leaf. So. <laughs> yeah, I teach I mean, astronomy, not astrology. Okay. And, I mean, I remember I went to the London Planetarium where they have, um, you know, projections. The yeah, the planetarium with the big dome. Exactly, with all mm. space sort of projected onto it. And yeah. I wonder, like, as you're 20 years, you say you've been teaching astronomy or created mm. a course. Like, do you use a bunch of like technological stuff for that? Or are you, how are you teaching that? Or are you outdoors at night? Because this is a big thing for me is I'm really inspired um, to teach about the stars and take my kids. I've done some slightly dusky type scenarios, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm wondering how I can better integrate that into my environmental education. Well, we get outside um, every year, although I have to admit this year we haven't. We've had a very unusual um, year for weather. Like the weather has been odd and th this spring is, is no different. So I haven't actually had the class out yet and I've been wanting to. We've talked a lot about it. I have five telescopes and many, many times over the years we've taken them all outside and set them up. Now, of course, you have to have something as well to look at. That's also part of it. So, um, you know, if I put a telescope on a star, you're not really going to see very much. Um, so if there are planets, Jupiter is a spectacular target. So is Saturn. Seeing the rings of Saturn for the first time is like seeing a movie star. Oh, and so saying, true. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, oh, you actually look like him. Well, I, yeah, that's what I am. But, you know, it's, I've, had people, <laughs> I've had people look at Saturn and say, wow, it, it actually does have rings. Well, yes, it does. And you can see them with your own eyes. It's a spectacular moment in a person's life to see the rings of Saturn for the first time. And then to see the moons orbiting Jupiter uh, and, and then imagine that uh, 400 years ago, Galileo was seeing the same thing and putting two and two together that if, if something's orbiting Jupiter, that means it's not orbiting Earth. And the perception or the understanding of the universe at the time was that Earth was the center of everything. And if it's orbiting Jupiter, then how can it be orbiting Earth? Well, it can't be. Well, therefore, Earth's not the center of the universe. And of course, Galileo got into big trouble for this. Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, but but he's, he, he got the whole telescope ball rolling. So anyway, we do get outside as much as we can. Uh, this spring has been spectacular for the five visible planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. They've all been lining up beautifully in the morning sky before sunrise. But we've had just horrible weather. So all of my students are saying, we'll get up. We'll get up and we'll be at the school at five o'clock. We'll look at all the planets and then we'll go to Denny's for breakfast. But it hasn't happened yet because of the weather. Blanket cloud. I mean, I live in Revelstoke, like in the interior um, rainforest, and it, it rains a lot and snows a lot. And so I've mm -hmm. definitely had a lot of those things uh, where you're like, yes, I'm going to see it. I'm going to go out and then, or I'm going to stare at a blanket of cloud. Okay. <laughs> like this weekend, there's a solar, uh, sorry, a lunar eclipse. And uh, it, it'll be a great view between 9.30 and 11.30 um, Pacific time. But, mm -hmm. but if it's cloudy, it'll just be um, an event that will go unnoticed. Do you ever use things like, um, I also use Stellarium, which I recently mm. discovered. Well, recently, a couple of years ago, and I actually took a course with um, 
trying to think which university it is that hosts these these free workshops um i'll i'll figure that out and we can link to it but that's pretty amazing because that told me where to look for things before I went outside, you know, or if it's you don't have the visibility and it's a free piece of software and just yeah. like it places you exactly where you are, right? Yeah, there's some spectacular pieces of software like Stellarium. I used Stellarium extensively when I first started teaching astronomy, but we weren't um, we weren't app based back in those days. And now everything is app based. And so there's others that, that they're the ones that you can sort of point and shoot, right? Like Skywalk, um, Starlight, you can actually point your camera and whatever your camera is looking at on your phone, that's what you're gonna see in, in, and so you can, you know, if I don't know what that object is, I can hold my phone up and say, oh, well, that's uh, Venus. Um, or on my iPad, which, which I project onto my screen in my classroom, I use Sky Safari a lot, which is a spectacular interactive app that uh, shows, you know, you can set it up to be your location and. You can set it to any day or time, month or year, and it'll tell you exactly what was in the sky that night or or tonight or last night. So it's a, it's a great visual, fantastic and visual. Is, is that like augmented reality? I've been using um, mm. when I dig snow pits and things for, I do some avalanche snow safety work mm. stuff. Um, and I have this, this sort of um, clinometer app or whatever that augments reality and inputs things and layers it. Is it kind of like that? Well, Sky Safari is not, um, okay. but but the uh, but the other ones I was referring to are. And so you can see what the camera is seeing, as in the trees that are right in front of you, but you can also see the stars and the distance, and they're they're all labeled. So that is an, an AR type app. It's so cool. It's very cool. Yeah, there's no limit of things that you can use electronically. the 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 visual The visual representation of space is essential for learning about space because it's all about what you can see and, and and the the imagination can only take you so far but uh, i want to actually see it so if you want to tell me about um in in the constellation ursa major for example there are two spectacular galaxies that you would never know are there uh, but i can zoom right in on them on on um sky safari and, and there's the pinwheel galaxy and uh, below the handle is the whirlpool galaxy and these are just spectacular images that you can then go outside with a telescope and you know try to see for yourself with your own eyes which is a fun you know, a fun challenge. Yeah, that's awesome. Hello, listeners. This is Ian. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast, produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a registered charity in Canada serving environmental educators in Canada, the U.S., and overseas. For only $32 a year, you can subscribe to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. We always kind of touch on the why, and I guess you could ask the why question with any subject. Why teach English? Why teach math? Why teach astronomy? I mean, there's so much to unpack in there, but I'm always curious to sort of hear the Cole's notes of that answer. I don't know if anyone knows what Cole's notes means, but the yeah. <laughs> the Wikipedia oh, yeah. overview of that answer. Coal of fossil fuel? Yeah. Mm. Okay. The other Cole, Different. C-O-L-E, yeah, cool. it's a person. Okay. Um, you know, why, why teach astronomy? You know, astronomy is the basis of all science. It's really the, the father yeah. of all science, if you will. And 
out of out of astronomy was born chemistry and obviously physics and more recently in the last 50 years is biology is is a, a major part of course any mission to space one of the ultimate um quests is is there life or at the very least are there the conditions for life and so the biology of of space and exploration is all an, a part of what we learn about in an astronomy class and i would say though that the number one reason to why teach astronomy is because students love to learn about it and yeah. what people love to learn about are the things that we should focus on and i worry sometimes about the education system and, and the curriculum it, how many things are in it still that are there simply out of tradition or because we've always done it that way when in reality what do kids want to learn and i think that's the question we need to ask more and more often and one thing i can tell you for sure that they want to learn about is space because everybody has a question about what was that bright object i saw how do they know that it was a big bang how far away is it how old is it how hot is it how cold is it how many times have you been there how will will an asteroid ever hit earth will, oh, will the sun blow up there's so many questions that kids ask and it's sort of that natural scientist inside of them like why wouldn't you teach astronomy and allow them to be the scientist and of course from from there you can springboard into all kinds of other sciences and you can learn just in a, a myriad of things and it's, it's just a never-ending opportunity to learn so why wouldn't you teach astronomy <laughs> yeah and when it comes to identifying objects in the sky do you ever get students saying okay that's great that i know what it is but now what like what can i do with that what is the relevance of it how does it connect to my life well you know the connections it's true um i i haven't had let's see how many uh, how many students have i had end up being a nasa astronaut oh none okay <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, they're slightly, you know, they're a, they're a small bunch, aren't they? They're not really expensive. Yeah, it's an exclusive group. It's, it's yeah. an exclusive group. In all of Canada right now, there are four astronauts out of the 38 million people who live in this country. So it is, it's a difficult job to get into. But um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities in the space industry that doesn't involve being an astronaut. Mm. However, um, I, I'd like to think that uh, the reason we go to school is to become educated and to become interesting people. And... One thing you find is that of all the sciences, maybe even of all the disciplines, what, what one shows up in the news more than any other? And the sciences that you see in the news all the time are things to do with space or things to do with climate. And these are the things that people are talking about. Everybody's talking about these things. So these are the things that we should be learning about so that when the topics come up, somebody can say, well, actually, I, I know something about that. I could, I could help you understand what a shooting star is, or I could help you understand what a lunar eclipse is. And then next thing you know, people are saying, well, you know, you're a pretty interesting person. Well, where did you learn all this stuff? Well, I, I went to school and, and I happened to take an astronomy course and, and I've just learned these things. And next thing you know, you're the sort of the interesting person in the conversation. So I don't think that there necessarily needs to be an ultimate purpose or reason why we're learning things, but other than to be um, just an interesting person is somebody that's well-spoken and has some interesting things to say. And I think the more people we have in our society like that, I think probably the better. <laughs> That's a really interesting perspective. And I don't know that I've heard it that often. I mean, the point you make about teaching people things that they want to learn about. I mean, we just did an episode about inquiry-based learning, leading from the mm -hmm. questions that learners have, but learning for the sake of becoming an interesting person. Why wouldn't we do that? That just makes so much sense. It makes abundant sense. So if I can help push that cause then um, and I found that astronomy is a good venue to to do so and as a person who did a science degree like so much of the sort of joy and creativity was sort of sucked out of the work I was doing in terms of writing papers and referencing and things and so I'm just like imagining this 
sort of inspiration of just loving and being interested in what you find and then sharing that with other people and that and that being the purpose it's just wonderful also it's like I think for me I've I found it quite philosophical when I've connected with space and and like my place and my size and and actually how important I am it's it's kind of been helpful in times of uh overwhelm perhaps but the thing is, with importance, I like to tell my students that um, space indicates to you how important you actually are. Because of all the creatures in the universe, which seem to be limited to one place, Earth, and of course, the odds of that being more than Earth are, they've got to be high, but we have zero evidence that it's anywhere other than Earth. And yet, of all the millions and millions of species that that have come to be on this planet, we're the only one that have uh, developed the ability to ponder our existence mm-hmm. that has the conscience to think about what is the universe. I see a cow grazing in the field, but I'm sure that cow is not pondering the universe and wondering where it all came from. Uh, but we're able to do so. And so, uh, so because of that, we've been able to, um, in a sense, become the center of our own universe. Um, it's like uh, an uh, analogy I would use is um, referring to cow, uh, fixed on cows for some, for some reason. But if if a if a tree casts shade on a hot summer day and there's no animal or person or being to to enjoy that shade, then the shade is meaningless. However, uh, similarly with the universe, the universe is meaningless unless there's somebody there to ponder the universe, and that's our role. And so as the, as a result, we are the ones that ascribe meaning to the universe. So that makes us pretty important. And that's sort of the one of the ways I go about um, bringing meaning to learning about space to my students. We are important because we bring meaning to the universe. Without it, it would be meaningless. It's just matter, isn't it? That's another perspective I've not heard that is really refreshing and quite empowering, I have to say. I'm, I'm just, I'm pondering it right now. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I've been teaching astronomy for 20 years so i come up with these little things (laughs) i'm very much looking forward to your book and i know we'll talk about that later but i want to ask about astronomy beyond the science wing i mean we still have different wings in schools and education centers and i think we just saw an example in popular culture with the movie don't look up and how Mm. astronomy can come into social commentary about climate change and celebrity culture and so on and so forth but beyond that low-hanging fruit example because it's very recent where else can we take astronomy outside of science well boy it it shows up in so many areas of um popular media and movies of course um you know the star wars star trek thing is is uh, i mean it's become an entertainment a source of entertainment but um people write books about it and people philosophize about it um I don't know. Like uh, I, I, you find space everywhere. I think the more you, it's like when you, when you buy a car and, and all of a sudden you see everybody's driving your car. It's like when you start yeah, learning about yeah. space, everybody, everybody's <laughs> talking about space and you never really notice how much it comes up. Um, so um, to me, that's sort of where, where outside of science space is, is always on, on the tip of people's tongues. Uh, there's always something that they're they're wondering about, and and all you need to do is get to the end of a dock on a on a lake in the summertime and stare up at the, you know, the meteor shower in August and say, wow, what, what is this all about? Yeah, Where are these pretty groovy. Hmm. I mean, for me, it's technically still science, but I think about. Um... I've been very privileged, not where I grew up, but in my travels and where I live now, to have access um, 
to like dark skies um mm. and i'm pretty interested in how we connect it to sort of environmental concerns like light pollution or then in the way that our circadian rhythms are disrupted when we don't have dark and light at different times and for the way humans now who work shifts or night shifts and the way that we you know especially post-pandemic or thinking about all these nurses pulling and doctors pulling all these incredibly long things working through the night and then needing to sleep in the day I've, I feel like there's so many sort of cultural and humanity based and ecological connections that can be made as well to to the sky yeah ecological connections to the sky you know like um when it comes to um the environment of course in my school i'm known as astro stevenson to many and i could probably be known as um, the environment guy as well uh i i've been teaching issues around environmental climate change um for a lot of years now uh ever since they used to call it global warming and um <laughs> you know and the thing is with 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 that one of the connections that i i have thought about recently is um uh, with regard to plants and i know i think of someone like elon musk who put up a challenge a uh, hundred million dollars to the person who can come up with the best carbon capture technology and i know somebody tweeted back to him saying uh so if I go out and plant trees, I get a hundred million dollars. Mm -hmm. And um, it's sort of like trees are the, the best machine ever made to take carbon out of the atmosphere and replace it. In fact, plants are the only thing that um, can, can produce something that we need. It can take something that we are trying to mitigate and, and replace it with something that's essential for our, for our lives. So when it, if we can take advantage of them here on earth, where, where, where does that start to play a role when we leave earth? So the moon, for example, um, what about on Mars? Well, we can't bring all the food with us if we plan these long-term bases. Perhaps I know that NASA is planning the Lunar Gateway and, and ultimately the Artemis mission, which is going to spend time for a long period of time on the moon. Well, we, we need to be able to grow plants in other places. We need to be able to take advantage of whatever soil conditions there are. And, uh, and in doing so, not only will we get food out of it, but we'll also get oxygen. And um, as well, as you know, I'm sure you'd have a lot to say about, we get incredible um, peace and a sort of a, um, a, almost a spiritual well-being from being around plants. And uh, you know full well that if a person is going to spend time in space, they're going to be living in a habitat that's not Earth-like. And so what kind of mental anguish will they be suffering from and what sort of peace will be brought to them by the presence of plants? And so um, the, the, the research into greenhouses and aquaponics and you know how do we sustain plant growth in in outer space these are all very real parts of astrobiology that are taking on all kinds of issues and challenges that's so wild i've literally i just had to google it real quick but uh, 13 hours ago the bbc posted and this came up on my news feed but moon soil used to grow plants for the first time in breakthrough test so they've grown plants uh, like cress, a type of cress in small samples of dust collected during the 1969 to 1972 Apollo missions. The seeds sprouted after two days. Um, University of Florida professors who co-authored the paper. So that's like exciting. So I'm super excited about the idea and I'm incredibly, I feel like what you mentioned there about plants and you know, living in space bubbles, uh, you know, devoid of, of environment because it would 
you know, be harmful to life. Mm-hmm. But we must be excited about going. You must be excited about the idea of, of spending time in space. But how do you feel then about the Elon Musks or the other people who are concentrating funds into space exploration when, like me personally, I feel like we could be focusing that energy back on Earth uh, to mitigate the effects of climate change. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, Musk did put up $100 million for carbon capture technology. Um, You can't knock him for that. And he has started the world's best electric car company. Uh, So he is doing... things plus his solar city and um you know there are things that he's doing and the fact is it's his money and he's earned it fair and square you know until i earn 300 billion dollars i really can't knock him for what he's doing what what i think more of is um is things like right here in canada i drive from my house to home and i go right past the the construction site of the trans mountain pipeline and i watch this thing going in and i'm thinking to myself we bought that for four and a half billion dollars. So if I'm a Canadian citizen, I'm a co-owner of a pipeline that's tripling the amount of oil flowing out of our country, which of course is, you know, we can't deny the fact it's essential for our, our Canadian economy. What do you do if you turn off the oil valves? All of a sudden, our, you know, who's going who's gonna to repair the bridges? Who's going to build the hospitals? Do we need a new school? Well, I'm sorry, we ran out of money because you wanted us to shut the oil off. This is one of those difficult questions and it's a horrible time to be a politician, but when the government of Canada says we're we're not going to commit any more money to the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and then just last week or end of end of April they they commit another ten and a half billion dollars to it, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. To me, that those billions of dollars could have been directed towards clean energy, and we wouldn't need all that oil. Um, so I, I, we're in a, we're in a transition time. There's no question. Yes. We've been using oil for a long time and, and, and it's time for it to sort of go the way of the dodo bird. And there's opportunities. Our, our, the sun, uh, provides the planet with a thousand Watts per square meter. And that's a lot of energy. The, the sun has, uh, is, is actually a light bulb, uh, equivalent to 300 million, 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 million Watts. It's a lot of energy. And we can, uh, a lot of power, I guess, if you want to be technical, but um, the, the truth of the matter is we have the solutions to, to climate change, and yet we keep throwing money at oil. And uh, it, it's, a tough, it's, a tough, it's a tough call, but that's where we're at. And, and so I don't have a problem with Elon Musk pushing us to become a multi-planet species, space-faring civilization, he likes to say. Hey, go, go for it, Elon. Go for it. I, I'd, be, I'd be directing my criticism more at the governments of the world who are propping up the oil industry at a time when they're all talking about climate change and going to their Paris conferences and then coming right home and writing checks to the oil companies. That's what I got a problem with. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, amen to that. All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network or CBEAM. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. 
We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. I mean, thinking um, back into the sort of school and the things we can influence, uh, I mean, we can vote and we can do all those things, but a big thing for outdoor learning and for, uh, I think, all learning, but um, particularly in my field, is thinking about um, making sure that learning experiences are diverse and equitable and inclusive. And so I'm wondering how... Like in my mind, like the sky is free, right? So that it's it seems like a sort of perfect opportunity for learning there. And um, I just wondered if if you felt like the work you're doing ever ties into that specifically. Well, I think it does. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head that the sky is free and it's available to everybody. So this weekend, as I mentioned, there's a lunar eclipse. I'm in the West Coast. You're in the BC, the interior of BC and Ian is is in Southern Ontario. All three of us can simultaneously watch the same event. In fact, anybody on the dark side of Earth will see this thing. And uh, we could all share in that moment together. In fact, through things like Zoom, and we could actually be speaking to each other as we watch the shadow of the Earth cross over the moon. Uh, so it's available to everybody. But like, um, you know, there's an, I have a phrase on my door, on my classroom door that says, um, uh, remember to not to look down at your feet, but to look up at the sky and be curious. In fact, this, this is a quote from Stephen Hawking. And this is such a necessary message to teenagers today to get your nose out of your phone for a while, at least for a while, and look up at the sky, look up at the stars and wonder what they are and consider the possibilities of an endless and eternal universe. See how that affects you. And uh, for a moment, stop scrolling and just look up because it's there waiting for you. The sky calls out to everybody, but fewer and fewer people are, are taking advantage of that. It's just like out, the outdoors and nature. I could, anybody can go for a hike in the mountains, but not a lot of people do. Uh, more people should. I like that. Even I hadn't even thought of connecting that into the, into the sort of therapeutic elements because... I also feel that mm. with the scrolling and the technology that uh, people are feeling more disconnected than ever, actually, because of these sort no. of isolated pockets of, I need this thing to be happy or that thing. And I know that um, I got married in the middle of the pandemic. I sort of did a bit of an elopement thing to my, my partner. We'd been together since we met on our first day of university when we, um, 15 years ago. And we were out um, up above um, Revelstoke Dam. It's like sort of 50 kilometers away from the nearest um, light source. Oh, okay. So we were up about 50 kilometers past Revelstoke Dam and it's it's like pitch black. We had the perfect, it had rained all July, like 2020, mm. just rained from July, July 1 to July 24th. And on July 25th, the clouds parted. We had this incredible open space. And so many people, oh, so many people, there were like 20 people there. Um, we camped. Somebody noticed how incredible the stars were. And there was, um, I can't remember which meteor was there. Um, oh, a comet, a comet. A comet. 
mm-hmm. which comet was it? Um, anyway, I should know these things. Got a great picture of it. Anyway, there was just this mass star watching that went on for about three hours where there's a big dock that goes out into the lake where we were and just everybody mm-hmm. just lying like sardines side by side staring at the space. And it was like, it was like a, a, a blanket of stars as opposed yeah. to black with stars on it. It was, there was so much light exuding from this space. And I will remember that, that feeling of all in, yeah, of being encompassed by the space that I was in. And obviously a very special, magical, best day of life ever, um, marrying my best friend. But to have this shared experience of all these people and I, I want to share that with more of my students but obviously I can't take a bunch of like young kids out at midnight to stare at the sky so but yeah. I just I don't know it was revelatory we had a spectacular moment back in August of 2017 that the um, solar eclipse occurred and the shadow of the moon crossed right over Langley and so it was in the middle of August and I put out a notice on the various social medias and I said look I'm going to be at the school I know school's not on but I'm going to be there. I'm going to have a bunch of telescopes set up and I can answer your questions about the solar eclipse. And, you know, 50 people showed up and this was parents and it was elementary age kids and it was high school students. And I said to the principal I happened to be there. I said, you know, look at this. If it's interesting enough, they'll come to school in August. And there they were. And it was a spectacular moment. And the, you know, and, and to say you can't take them out at midnight to, to look at these things, you're, 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 you might be able to actually, I mean, you might be able to, the, the, the trick would be getting to a place where the sky is as dark as you've described it. I've been at a place up on the West coast of Vancouver Island in Desolation Sound a number of times, a spectacular moment to be uh, a place to be. And uh, while there uh, last summer, uh, what I saw was the shine on the ocean of Jupiter. Now I've seen sunshine on the ocean. I've seen moonshine on the ocean, but that's the first time I've seen a planet shine on the, on the ocean. And those are moments that uh, people should be seeking those opportunities. And it's something that people don't think about often enough, but they, they should. And there is something sort of uh, me- meditational as you described about just looking at these things. And I'm sure in that moment up beyond the, the dam in Revelstoke, people were maybe even asking some questions like, gee, I wonder what that is, or I wonder how far away that is, or what are we actually looking at? And wouldn't it have been wonderful to be able to say, well, actually, I, can, can I tell you, I, I could help you understand that. And the more you understand, it's like, it's like getting to know a person. The more I understand and know that person, the, the better or deeper our conversation can be. So if I understand the stars and understand the universe, um, the more rich the, the moment can, can become. That's quite beautiful. And it was Comet Neowise, I remember now. Yes. Neil came through. I saw it as well. Yeah, those conversations, though, like you say, um, it's such a beautiful, it's a beautiful piece to wonder. And that's where, like, we've got a little resource in the store that's um, a night sky guide and it glows in the dark and it's got these, um, some of the constellations. And I feel um, that that's really inspirational. And another thing that you can do with that and then look at a stellarium or something is is look at the different l- layers of the way that we name things, right? The sort of scientific constellation names and then there's some sort of First Nations or Indigenous uh, options. The way the Greeks named it with their gods was different to the Romans. And like, I, I find that, that allegory incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. The, I, I've had a lot of students over the years who, Maybe one is really big into Greek mythology and maybe another one's big into Roman history. And uh, the number of, uh, of them who've been able to teach me about 
you know, Mars is the Roman god of war and um, Mercury was, uh, I, I don't even want to start to say it because I'll get it wrong. I don't know it. I don't know it as well as many of my students do. It's not, it's nothing I've really studied uh, in intently. Um, e even the, the first nations people um, there's, there's legendary stories of, for instance, the, uh, the great bear, uh, which mm. is uh, Ursa major, the, we see as the big dipper, the big dipper is actually only a, portion of that entire constellation yeah but in a darker sky you can see the entire bear and uh, of course the bear is a circumpolar which means it's close enough to the north star that as the earth rotates the illusion is that it's rotating around the north star of course it's not moving at all what's moving is the earth but in in ancient times people didn't know that the earth was moving like that and so the great bear was uh, believed at one time to be a, a young brave who had been disobedient and was punished and was turned into this bear and cast into the heavens. And the punishment was that you'll never be able to take a drink from the ocean. And this is because they've noticed that as, as season by season and hour by hour each night, uh, as it will never dip down and touch the horizon. And there's a few constellations like this and Ursa Major is one of them. And so that, that's one of the First Nations legends that are that have come out of these constellations but you know honestly i've talked to people who are among the first nations and i've asked them is this your story as well and i've had them say well no that wasn't our story and and this is every nation seemed to have their own interpretation or their, or their own stories or legends that go with the constellations there isn't seemingly one that that sort of crosses all different nations the one i told is just one of probably many we have um, a bundle of, of stories called Strong Stories that are um, produced by Strong Nations, which is an Indigenous-owned and operated publishing house based on Vancouver Island. I'm just about to flick through my pile of books, but we have the Great Bear story in there somewhere from one of the First Nations. And yeah, they're, they're such independent stories. But I've just finished a book about Greek mythology and their connection to the sky. I don't know. It's just magic. Yeah, it is magic. Of course it is, because everybody looked at the sky and wondered what they were looking at. The The ancient Greeks would, would say, well, the, this morning the sun was over there, and tonight the sun is over there. Um, following as the sun sets, the moon rose, and now in the evening the moon is there, and in the morning the moon is there. So everything seems to be going around us. Why would we think, you know, why would we think anything else other than the earth is stationary and everything is going around us? Of course they would think that, because they had no other frame of reference. They didn't have telescopes. All they had was what they could see at nighttime, and um, probably we would have come to the same conclusions that they did. Oh, yeah. Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational, and fun programs across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organization looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum, or engage your students or teachers with unique programs that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the Earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. Well, speaking of stories, we alluded to the book that you're writing, and I know you probably don't want to divulge too much, but is there anything you can leak about what we might expect? Well, actually, yes, because not only am I writing, it is actually written and um, Ooh. and is and is available. 
Oh, what's okay, well, tell us all. Give um, us the update. The update. Yeah, so the, the, I wrote the book um, uh, called Beyond the Classroom starting in uh, February of 2020. And what I had done is taken work that I had done even years ago in the 90s, and I updated it, and I rewrote it, and I added to it, and I took sort of stories from my career and um, uh, just basically told my story about what it's been and how it's been. And for no other reason than to bring encouragement uh, and perhaps inspiration to teachers, whoever chooses to read it, um, just to suggest that it, it would follow the theme such as, you know, the expression, uh, oh, well, this rocket science, as if to say, yeah. uh, well, it's really, it's really hard, <laughs> right? It's rocket science. And I like to say to my students, you know, this, rocket science doesn't have to be rocket science. And there's a lot of um, tendency in, in, culture to overcomplicate things and make things more uh, perhaps difficult than they really need to be. And I think teaching is the same way. I think there's a lot of, well, you know, teaching is a really hard job and you know, there's all these things that we have to do. And, and to me, teaching is just being in a room with a bunch of people, just talking together and learning and growing together and showing each other respect and uh, listening to what they have to say. And they'll listen to what I have to say. And if they want to speak up, I, I'll stop and I'll listen. And sometimes if they're not listening to me, I'll say, well, you know, when that person was speaking, what did I do? What did I do? I stopped everything I was doing and I stood and I listened intently to what that person had to say. Now, if I'm going to do that, I expect all of you to do that. And so there's this sort of mutual kind of respect and, and, um, and these are the themes of teaching. I, I found, I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody feel any negative way. I, but I found teaching to be one of the greatest joys of my life. Um, and why is that? Well, that's what I wrote about in this book. And I tried to explain why. And I talked about the things that have influenced me. Where have I drawn my inspiration from? Uh, and who have I modeled myself after? Who's, who, who's helped mold my presentation style? Um, where have I learned things? Like, for instance, I teach astronomy. Well, how many astronomy courses have I taken in my life? None. I've never taken an astronomy course in my life. Well, then how can I teach it? Well, I've made it my business to learn. And isn't that what teaching is all about, is just taking the opportunity to learn when you have a chance. And so I've, I've, um, I wrote about these things and I described them in, in about uh, 180 pages. And uh, I told people this, is, this, is, this has been what it's been like for me. And I, and I hope that it can be like this for you too. That's really the overlying message is, I'm not saying be like me. I'm just saying it can be like this. Take what you can from this book and see if it can affect your teaching and maybe reduce some of your stress and bring that joy and excitement and love of teaching uh, back to, to, to your practice. I think it's come at the right time with just all the pressures and the staff shortages because of the pandemic and all the stress that everybody has been under. It sounds like this could well be an antidote to all of the, just the drudgery that these past two years have been. Yeah, we need a shot in the arm, and um, I, th I think that's kind. Of, it's kind of a shot in the arm. It's kind of a little pick me up, and it's, it's a light. It's a light read, but people have told me that you know your book was so easy to read. I just felt like I was talking with you. I, th I just felt like I could hear you speaking as I read this, and and as such, I just breezed through it. But I felt good after reading it, and that's exactly what my intention was. Is is when you put it put it down, say you know what, this is why I'm a teacher. Gosh, I'm darn I'm darn glad that I am. So that was the whole purpose of the book. That's beautiful. And I think those those moments, I actually had one of these moments and I write a blog about some of the 
stuff I do and I just had this thing where we were talking about sustainability with kids and um, wants versus needs and these are like grade five six students mm-hmm. and normally this takes about 10 minutes and we get we talk about needs you know you know oxygen food shelter water and then we get into the wants and it's just like sweets soda <laughs> candy all of these things you know mountain bikes and I had this conversation with these students and it's getting more and more every year I do this with a different couple of classes where it was like they were talking about the sort of inevitability of of uh, change and the way that um, education is a need and not a want. And I'm like, who are these children? <laughs> um, and and the way that communication and technology is both a need and a want, but that, um, you know, the fact that connectivity and love is is integral to who we are as, as a humanity. And I'm just, I, I had one of these moments where I've, I wrote this thing and then we shared it with parents because it was, my heart exploded out of my chest to see how deep and thoughtful these students are. And I see people like um, Gillian Judson, who's doing this ecological imagination work and what you were saying about like just inspiring them and um, like your students knowing more about the constellation names or whatever, because it inspired their imagination, right? And whatever connects. And so the work you do and you know, I was thinking like, oh, space, it's so specialised, it's so different. But actually always just connecting in to that same thing of if we care, then we we have a place. And if we have a place, then we feel safe and we we succeed. And that's that's a beautiful concept to me. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the formula isn't complex. You know, we're all just people. We enjoy being um, respected. And we enjoy good conversation and feeling uh, accepted in a room. And, you know, you do those little things. You know, we talk about what's the culture in a school? How do we develop a culture in the school? Do we, is it programs? Is it posters around the school saying we're a great place to be? Well, it's none of those things. The culture of a school is based on the people and how you feel when you walk into the building. And that usually starts at the top. It starts with the administration of the building, making the teachers feel accepted and respected and uh, appreciated and then that filters down to the students and um, that's when a culture of a, of a building starts to come into place it's not a difficult formula just think about the the, the age-old adage of do you know do unto others as you'd have them do unto you and um, next thing you know a lot of the problems are are somewhat mitigated then they're never going to go away completely but we can soften the blow i think we know how we do that's lovely I was expecting to have a conversation like really about space and science. And I feel like what we've had a conversation really about is um, connection and community and teaching. So this is, I love it when things are, you know, come to you differently than than, than your expectation. And that's magic. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we go? Any last mm, sort of little space nuggets, if you will, of wisdom? Well, I, I guess one of the things is, um, uh, are we, are we going to link to where they can find my book? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But of course. Get it in there. And I want your Twitter handle because your Twitter's amazing. And um, tell people how to get your podcast, Science360. I've said it. You can repeat it. Yeah. Do all the things. Share yeah. them. So, you know, the, it's funny with, with books because books often are, are a, a bucket list item. A lot of people say, I want to write a book. And I'm, I was no different. I wanted to write a book. That was one of my goals. And, and I accomplished that. I self-published it. 
Uh, I did talk to some publishers, but we never did connect fully on how this thing should go. So I thought, well, I'll just do it myself. And it's quite amazing on Amazon. The um, I think 40% of the books on Amazon now are self-published. It's just such an easy yes. thing to do. Um, I contacted a lot of independent artists, music artists, and said, um, you know, you're really good. Do you have a recording label? And many of them said, no, I don't. I just do this because I can control it. And I, I found the same way. So, you know, uh, so my book is on Amazon and it's easy to find called Beyond the Classroom. And um, it and it's, it's, it sits there often month after month in obscurity. It goes through little flurries of sales and then it just sort of sits there. And, but, you know, that's the way it goes. <laughs> it's always going to be there, though. Um, and and if you're listening to this, then perhaps it's time to to go and find it and yeah, we need to go, go beyond the classroom. Yeah, yeah, it's free. Yeah, yeah, it's Absolutely. actually we're actually just hitting the one year anniversary. It was released the first week of May of 2021, and uh, and and and, and, uh, and I've had a lot of very positive feedback. I'm, I'm quite happy that you know uh, is someone going to mis- uh, mistake me for C.S. Lewis? Well, no, but <laughs> but I but the book has impacted some people. And some people around the world, literally, have have contacted me and said, "That was really helpful. Thank you." And I that and then you go, "Okay, well then it was worthwhile." Um, but um, anyway, and then of course the podcast Science Three Hundred and Sixty is available. Of course, they're so easy to find these things, Apple and Spotify. And um, I just try to find topics that might be interesting to teachers. Uh, I try to hit topics that they can then take into their classroom. Why? Because that's what I do all the time. I'm always listening to podcasts and reading things because for, for the sole purpose of what can I learn that I can go into class and say, you can't believe this, guys. You, I got to tell you what I learned this weekend. And, and, and it, there's always something new and exciting. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself if I ever retire because I'll be learning these things and I have nobody to tell it to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You just have to record in your garden shed instead of this luxurious uh, technological studio studio that you've got. Studio here. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've also got a a YouTube channel called Beyond the Sky. Actually, it's called Science360-Beyond the Sky. And what have I done there? I'm just putting up resources that teachers could use if they want to do feel more confident about teaching about space. And so I'm I'm building this kind of collection of videos. There's about 60 or 70 of them there now. And... um, you can watch them and and then I try to give suggested ideas. Oh, here's what you could do with this lesson. Uh, here's here's a, an activity you could do with your students. And maybe then you'll feel more confident to go into your classroom and teach, you know, really one of the most interesting sciences that's available to us. So that's a little thing that I'm working on as well on YouTube. Amazing. So Science 360, Beyond the Classroom. And uh, yeah, you should dive in and, and get involved. And for those um, people who are still confused between astrology and astronomy, um, yeah, sure I hear you. that um, yeah, Uranus is in retrograde, which means um, that the way it's communicating with Jupiter means you should buy this book. You can also, uh, if you're looking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I noticed that in your palm as well. Yes, yeah. I've been holding it up. That's it. Your lifeline says must hmm? buy all of these things and invest. <laughs> In Astro Stevenson. Um, and also, also we have, so. yeah, oh, good. And we also have an amazing night sky guide um, that's a laminated, child proof, uh, field trip proof uh, night sky uh, field guide that uh, glows in the dark. Uh, so you can mm. check that out on the it's store if funky. you're looking for something. Yep. to facilitate uh, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for joining us and for bringing such humour and light and you know positive and deep thought uh, to my Friday afternoon 
Mm-hmm. Well, you're very welcome. I, I've really enjoyed your podcast as well. Um, I, I mentioned to you, I listened to that one about water and the rivers, and I just love that episode. I listened to it on a plane flying to Cancun, actually, and uh, uh, some spectacular episodes. And so I'm going to keep listening to, uh, to your podcast. Really enjoy it. Thanks for... Yeah, I, I don't know what to say to that because yours is... Like, yeah. Primo. So. Cross... <laughs> Listen, I don't know if that's a term, but that's yeah. what cross we'll listening, do. cross pollination. Cross I guess because we're full circle, it's come back. I love it, and um, yeah, we'll see you next time. All right, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. You can also visit greenteacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars and cbean, that's c-b-e-e-n.org for a range of environmental resources, including professional development opportunities, grant information and green jobs. Lastly, you can visit www.stokedonscience.com to chat with me, Jade, about science workshops or educational consulting. Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas and another fun, earthy chat. So fun talking with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Finally seeing Absolutely. you after listening to you on on uh, on in my car. Yeah, we're not <laughs> disembodied voices anymore. Yeah. No. And Ian and I've been working together really closely for a couple of years and have never met in person. And yep. then never I had been my in first, the same time zone. Like educator gathering where lots of people see me on Zoom and then they met me in person. They're like, You are terribly short. So like, That's what I'm